you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. Welcome to Move the Sticks. It's Bucky Brooks here with Lance Z. And I can't wait to talk to my man Lance because it's the end of night two. We completed rounds two and three of the draft. Bunch of surprises, bunch of teams that we'll talk about, winners and losers and all of that. But before we get to that, Lance, overall thought. Second out of the draft, what 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 comes what stands out? What comes to mind? I mean, I I think figuring out where Will Levis and and Hinden Hooker would go was important because once you get past those two, I think most people think you're not going to find a potential starter once you're once you're done with those two. So that was very very important. I thought you know, watching, I was interested to see what the Rams would do. Rams are a team that you know very notably has gotten rid of a lot of picks over the years trying to go for it and they were successful but what would the rams do would they be able to get a tight end at some point how would the green bay packers address helping their new quarterback jordan love um how would my team the houston texans build that was something i was really interested in so um you know every year guys slide and and guys feel like they're quote unquote reaches but you know, every draft I'm reminded that everyone's draft board is substantially different. Um, not necessarily, but many times it can be. So a player that one team thinks is a six fifth or six rounder, another team has in a third. That's just how it works. It is how it works. And it's funny because you talk about this draft, all of the interests, uh, obviously on our side, because we always talk about quarterbacks, no matter how good they are, we want to make sure that they are the marquee uh, position we give them their due. And so let's talk about Will Levis. Let's talk about uh, the Tennessee Titans uh, trade up. Uh, they give up a couple picks to go up to 33 in a draft. Will Lewis, Will Levis to, I guess, either back up Ryan Tannehill, compete with Malik Willis to be the future starter of the team. What do you think? First thing that came to mind when you saw the Titans trade up and snag Will Levis? I, I, the first thing I thought of was, well, when they first traded up, I wondered if it was for Levis or for a cornerback. And then when it was announced as Levis, the first thing I thought is that, okay, when Tannehill's gone, this is going to be Levis versus uh, Willis made the best man win. I, I'm not ready to give up on Malik Willis. I mean, everyone knew Malik Willis really didn't shouldn't have been playing last year. He had to, and that's the way it goes when there's injuries. But Malik Willis needed a year. He needed a year to acclimate himself. So I'm not ready to just give up on Malik Willis um, as an NF, a potential NFL quarterback. I think you have he and, and, and uh, you know, Will Levis fight it out, and then you figure it out from there. But um, I was a little interested, but I mean, I was a little intrigued by that selection, but not really because you know, they weren't going to take him in the first round, but when they got their shot in the second, they took their shot, and Tannehill's not the quarterback of the future. So I just thought they're setting it up for a good old-fashioned, you know, winner-take-all quarterback battle in 2024. The preseason is going to be fascinating to me because in the preseason, you don't play your starters early. And so we'll have a chance to see Will Levis going back-to-back with Malik Willis. And as bad as Malik Willis might have been for the Titans last year, he has a year of pro experience under his belt. 
And as fast as it was for Malik Willis, it would be that fast, even faster for Will Levis. And so we'll get a chance to see all of their flaws in real time. Uh, the decision-making for both guys, the lack of accuracy for both guys, the athleticism, which should not in Malik Willis's favor. It'll be fascinating to watch this kind of play out in front of us. And if I'm Ryan Tannehill, I'm certainly not worried about either of these quarterbacks taking my job. So <laughs> no. it'll be interesting. It'll be funny to watch him uh, with his head watching these guys duke it out because that that QB2 competition between those two guys, it's going to be a fascinating one to watch. Yeah, and now let's just say, I mean, let's just play a hypothetical here. Let's say Tennessee, you know, the, oil, uh, the, uh, the Texans get better and the Colts get better and the uh, obviously the you know, the Jaguars continue their ascent. What if all of a sudden Tennessee's that team that just and Tannehill gets hurt and it, it doesn't look good at the quarterback position. They win three or four games. What happens then when you're potentially in the, in the running for one of the top two quarterbacks next year, and you got a quarterback you drafted in the third, then a quarterback you draft in the second, I guess you go third straight year where you're drafting a quarterback. I mean, you have to get it right. So you can't worry about that uh, in that hypothetical situation. But I thought that was interesting to see which teams would pass on Will Levis because they wanted they would rather take their chances next year than deal with Levis or Hendon Hooker this year. Yeah, I mean, it, and this is one of the things like when it comes to the quarterback spot, like guys want to take a quarterback. You always want to take a quarterback, see what you got. Um, uh, I'm surprised they moved up to get him, but there was a lot of conversation about him and that stuff, and so it makes sense. Look, at the end of the day, I think the league got it right in terms of where Will Levis was drafted. Now it's on Will Levis to prove um, himself right and us wrong by look playing and playing like a Josh Allen type player and showing that he can do more than just kind of run around and make some occasional plays when everything is right around. You know, Cynthia Freeland is a big, I did the uh, day two with her and uh, Mike Yam on the, uh, the NFL's uh, NFL.com slash NFL channel. And she's a Lions fan. And when they took Kenan Hooker, she was not happy. And I thought she would be happy because to me, you know, she wanted another player who could help the Lions. But to me, this was, I thought this is a really interesting pick. I kind of like this pick for Detroit. I mocked them last night when I had to do my second, third round mock, I put Levis Mm -hmm. um, to the Lions because frankly, with one year to go on his contract. I'm not really interested in giving Jared Goff the going rate for his level of quarterback. It's going to cost you what 35, you know, 34 to 38 million for Jared Goff, possibly even more. I don't know. I, I just, I think I would rather draft a potential replacement, see how that goes this year, and then maybe switch it over to a, uh, uh, to Hendon Hooker, I kind of like this pick in the third round. Worst case scenario, you got a backup quarterback in the third. Best case scenario, he develops, and you may have a rookie contract starter at quarterback that allows you to keep building the rest of the uh, um, the lineup. Any pieces that you don't have in your roster, maybe you attack it in free agency. So, I kind of like that. Pick. Yeah, it's funny. At sixty, I mean, it's, what it's sixty-eight? Third round. Yeah, it's a third round pick. It doesn't cost you anything. I no. mean, it's peanuts. I mean, like. Uh, some third rounders don't even make teams in year two. And so with Hendon Hooker, what you're doing, you're drafting him as a guy that you're hoping to be a starter, but there's no pressure to put him on the field. He has an opportunity to sit and learn behind Jerry Goff. He doesn't even strike Jerry Goff as legitimate competition because he's a third round pick. To me, it's a perfect scenario for Hendon Hooker to learn the game, 
Uh, if you talk about their their games, similarities between his game and Jared Goff's game, he's not necessarily going to run around and do it. And so the offense doesn't have to change for either one of those guys. I think the bigger thing uh, for Hendon Hooker, he he comes off the board where I think the risk reward factor yes. is is ideal. Absolutely. First round was too high, too much money tied into someone 25 years old, uh, ACL injury. Uh, third round, though, I mean, the money is nice. I mean, you just talked about just being able to have a nice developmental prospect, no pressure. He has to prove that he can be maybe beyond a QB too, but that's fine. You put that on him. So to me, it worked out. And there was a lot of flack thrown at the Lions for their draft because they went off the grid, uh, drafted Jamar Gibbs, come back and get uh, Jack Campbell. But then they followed up with Campbell's teammate, Sam Laporta, and then they get Brian Branch. And so no matter if you don't like what they did to order, you definitely can't knock the picks. Those picks for those guys before Hooker, all solid players, all guys that could be starters and should be immediate contributors. To me, I feel like Detroit got it right, and him the hooker was just kind of like the chair on top of the Sunday. Yeah, and they got a big guy too, and Broderick Martin. They really wanted a big in the middle, and uh, so they just went up and got him in the third. They're not messing around. Sometimes one of the things that we saw was teams who really wanted their players um, – they just went and got them. They're not messing around at the end of the third. They don't want to get them stolen. If you like a guy, if another team has him in the fifth, like Broderick Martin, some te- teams thought he would go in the fifth. The Lions said, this is what we need. So we're going to go get him in the third. We're worried about building what we need on our roster. Um, i tell you something that kind of bothered me a little bit as somebody who follows the Texans. Nick Casario is a serial pick trader. He trades up with his picks. Like he does not use them. So if Bill Belichick used to always trade back and accumulate picks, Nick Casario, who worked under Bill Belichick, is the exact opposite. He just gives, he packages picks and moves up two spots, three spots to make sure he gets who he wants. So he really doesn't really value additional picks. I think he looks at it as getting, okay, I want to get five guys that I really want. And, you know, and every year he'll go into the draft saying, we want to get these five guys, maybe six guys, but he had all these draft picks and he just used them as additional capital just to push into spots that he wanted. In some cases, just three spots early just to get a center, which I thought was puzzling because he did, he's doing it so often. That's not Bucky. Is that something you usually see where there's guys who are always using extra picks to trade up? No, but, you know, I think this new wave, this new generation of general managers are far more aggressive than their predecessors. You know, they go after the guys they want. They they value the the players more so than the picks. And that's what you're seeing. Meanwhile, you look at Trent Baalke. He's over there hoarding picks. They have 10 picks on day three of the draft. (laughs) You know, and so that's just the difference between old school and new school. New school is putting it into players. Old school is making sure they have all the lottery tickets, hoping that they can and increase their odds of landing a blue chip player. But let me go back to the quarterbacks right quick yeah. because you've heard our thoughts on these quarterbacks. Let's get DJ's thought on Will Levis. And no doubt excited for him. Big arm, very athletic, was hurt in 2022. You go back to 21, you can see him healthy. He was moving around a lot better. The arm is a big power arm, not only to drive the football, but those deep shots down the field for an offense in Tennessee that needs to be more explosive. Tight NFL window throws, 
he shows the ability to do that. Off-platform has been good and bad for him. You see some throws like this. Other times, it will impact his accuracy. The toughness, you cannot question. Not only playing with injuries, but the ability to hang in there and take shots. And the athleticism, why don't you just show me a little hurdle here, Will. Get out in space against your rival, Louisville, and show you what you can do as an athlete. So, Will Levis, I know he's got to be a little disappointed, but the good news is they're able to get Peter Skaratsky with their first pick, so he's going to play behind a little better offensive line the way this thing shook out. Have you ever seen a sad war room? Every war room's happy. Have you noticed that? Everyone got the pick oh, they wanted at all times. Chest, yeah, yeah, chest bumping, uh, being super excited. Detroit was super excited about uh, their pick. Man, my man uh, Brad Holmes yelling and screaming. Uh, after they made every pick, it seemed like. And so it's funny. <laughs> I wonder what his reaction was, you know, privately when they got Hinton Hooker. But let's go to Hinton Hooker's reaction in terms yep. of what DJ thought about him. And there was a lot of discussion about them going running back linebacker in the first round. Well, they turn around and get the most important position here in the third round with a ton of value with Hendon Hooker at this point in time. The offense he played, and you guys touched on it, it's that old Baylor system. They are going to spread you from sideline to sideline. It creates a lot of space. You get a lot of vertical shots, particularly from the slot with Jalen Hyatt this year. The accuracy, the ball placement is pristine. It's a lot of catch, rock, throw in the, in the pocket. You don't see him have to move around too much. You get glimpses like this, though, of the athleticism to escape and make some things happen, some design quarterback runs. You can sprinkle that in. You're not going to want to major in it. But there were three questions about him, and while he's here in the third round, it was age, it was injury, and it was the offense. And the teams that met with him said, we have no concerns about his ability to transition to an NFL offense. The injury is going to be fine, and the age, it is what it is. You know, I mean, there, there you have, like, two really um, good breakdowns. DJ obviously did a great job on the draft coverage, breaking those mm -hmm. guys down, kind of going over to XO tape uh, while sharing his thoughts on both of those guys. Um, I think the other thing uh, that you learn in the draft is everyone gets excited at the top of the second round. Uh, a lot of interest in who's going to move up, who's going to move up in the first 10 spots, who, what picks are coming off the board. And so we saw the Pittsburgh Steelers take one of their guys, Joey Porter Jr., the son of Joey Porter, a.k.a. Peasy, who had a lot of success for them. Uh, what was your thought on uh, Joey Porter Jr. going to the Pittsburgh Steelers? Oh, I thought it was perfect. I mean, I, I had him at a couple mocks. I think I put him at 17. I thought that he made sense maybe in the first round. And then when they had the first pick, that was an easy one for me to mock. I have to do a second and third round mock for NFL.com after the first round's over. And for me, that was the first. That took zero seconds for me to figure out. I'm like, okay, Porter, boom. They need corner. He fits the mold. I thought he could go there with pick number 17 before they traded up for Broderick uh, Jones. So I, I like that. I thought it was a good pick for them. You know, so let's get DJ's reaction to Joey Porter going to the Steelers. And they love the family connections. When you think about this Pittsburgh Steelers group, the Hayward family, the Watt family, you think about the Porter family, the length is rare. You're talking about extremely long arms and he can run and carry these vertical routes all day long. You see the physicality to get up there and finish tackles out in space. He plays the game very aggressively for a big corner. You love to see that. Here he is as a blitzer, the burst to close and finish. A lot of energy, a lot of excitement in his play. To me, guys, when, when you think about the AFC, and we talked about Patrick Mahomes a lot last year, there's so many quarterbacks in the AFC you have to work through. Having pass rushers, having corners, 
you can't have too many. Can't have too many. And so it made, yeah, it made sense for the Pittsburgh Steelers to go and get Joy Porter Jr. Um, to take him there, able to get a guy who was a first round talent at the top of the second round. So it works with him. Uh, what are your thoughts? Did you like Joy Porter, the player? And how do you like well, the fit? Yeah, I mean, for me, Joey Porter, the player, I liked him as long as he's in press and as long as he's up in someone's pocket from the snap to the whistle. Um, once you have him backed off a little bit, once he has to try to match routes and, you know, be a, a mirror and match type guy, complex routes are going to lose him. He's not great in terms of his plant and drive quickness. I think what he is is mm-hmm. he beats you up at the uh, at the snap and then he just runs with you, and that's what he's got to play. He's got to play in that kind of scheme, and if you have him in that scheme, he suffocates catch space down the field. So I think he has to play in a very specific scheme, which is one of the reasons that maybe he fell a little bit. I can't tell you why Michael Mayer fell, um, other than maybe why tight ends just aren't sexy to people right now, Bucky. Everyone loves the pass-catching tight end. Everyone wants the next Travis, you know, Kelsey, which you're not going to find the mm-hmm. next Travis Kelsey very easily. So everyone loves, loves the pass-catching tight end. And then a, a why like Michael Mayer, who, let's be honest, he's not sexy. There's nothing that he does that really wows you on tape, but he's rock solid. Were you surprised that we only had one? We know it's a, a very deep tight end draft, right? Nine total, mm-hmm. taken eight in the second day between rounds two and three. How surprised were you that Michael Mayer fell out of the first round? A little surprised just because, I mean, you got so comfortable uh, putting him in the first round. You saw the big body tight end from Notre Dame who can do a little bit of everything, can block on the edge, can catch the ball over the middle field, big red zone weapon, all those things. You just thought that someone at the bottom of the first round would take him. Uh, I actually think, though, he fell to a great spot for him, though, with the Las Vegas Raiders. You think about Josh McDaniel's history uh, in New England, what they used to do with multiple tight ends. You now have an opportunity to put him in a feature position uh, in an offense that has Devontae Adams on the outside. I, I, I just like it. I like the fit. I like the pick. Um, it's a nice uh, – it's rare that you get, like, the right player to go to the right team. But to me, the Notre Dame tied in is a perfect fit for the Silver and Black. Let's see what Daniel Jeremiah, NFL draft analyst, thought about Michael Meyer going – Michael Mayer going to the Raiders. Yeah, the tight end run has begun. This is the best tight end group we've seen in a decade. Look at the comp on the bottom there, Mark Andrews, as a big, rangy, excellent pass-receiving tight end who also can get involved in the run game. The big body target, that shows up in the red zone. In scouting, we use the phrase combat catches. He has more than any tight end in this draft class. Look at him just peel the ball off the back of the defender. And then that subtlety as a route runner. You see it here, his ability to set up a safety there that we're going to see from Cal drafted at some point in time over the next day. Dependable blocker. He's not going to maul you, but he is an outstanding leverage blocker. He's going to stay attached, and he understands how to work up to the second level as well. This is a complete tight end, and when we look at next-gen stats powered by AWS, you see the production score where he is just below Dalton Kincaid. I thought he was the second-best tight end in the draft. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, and, And I like the point that you made about going with Josh McDaniels, who has that history. Now, you know, the Green Bay Packers, my top tight end on the board, and it's really a projection based on traits and based on what I saw on tape and limited tape, was Luke Musgrave. I'm a big fan of Luke Musgrave, of of what he could become. He's certainly not going to be the top tight end in in terms of what his production was because he only played two games this year and uh, he was hurt. He ended up going to the Green Bay Packers. It is interesting that the Packers – 
end up coming away with the wide receiver and Jaden Reed and two tight ends and Luke Musgrave and Tucker Kraft the year that Aaron Rodgers leaves. But I also think, you know, it's kind of an homage to Rodgers where you say, hey, we know Aaron can get it done with lesser talent and can elevate that. With Jordan Love now, they're starting to put some pieces around him because they realize they're going to have to surround him. And this is a guy, Bucky, uh, in Luke Musgrave, who's one of my favorites because his great size, he's very fast. He can threaten all three levels of the field. Um, I think his best football is ahead of him. He, he gains momentum and energy out of his breaks and out of his turns and stems. And so I think he's going to be a separator on the next level. And I like the fact that he played at o o Oregon State where they expect you in that outside mm -hmm. zone scheme to get after it as a blocker. You've got you've to put some effort into it as a blocker on the backside cutoffs and the play side trying to get the, uh, the edge sealed. So Luke Musgrave was a guy that, that personally I liked him. I liked the traits. I liked the potential there. So it's not only Luke Musgrave that they were able to get. It's the other tight end from South Dakota State. It really kind of made it pop for me. Uh, when you think about this team and how they want to play uh, with Jordan Love, Tucker Kraft coming over from South Dakota State, giving them another big body over the middle of the field, allowing them to get back to some old school stuff, 12 personnel, running the football. To me, I always felt like this is not the biggest test for Brian Gutekus, but this is a huge test for Matt LaFleur. Uh, when you remove... Uh, a four-time MVP at quarterback, well, now the coach has to coach. And so now we're beginning to get the insight on how he's going to make up for the loss of number 12. And I think you can already see it. Look, big tight ends, uh, multiple tight end sets, heavy dose of running game with A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones. And then you're going to set up uh, Jordan Love for success in other ways. And so I like the Musgrave pick, and I really love the Tucker Craft pick because he's a guy that I thought – was going to be someone that even went higher. He goes in the third round, but I thought he's like a look. I think he's a day one starter wherever he goes. So now having those two guys kind of duke it out, I like it. I like the way the Packers were able to put that together. Let's hear from Daniel Jeremiah, who commented on the number forty-two pick of the draft in round two. The Green Bay Packers take Luke Musgrave out of Oregon State. This is the tight end run again. We talked about the depth. This dude, if he had been healthy. He would have been long gone by now. Only two games this year. Reminded me of Greg Olson because of that size, frame, and ability to really stretch the seam down the field. Consistency catching the football. He can get the ball outside of his frame. Some of these guys, they try and corral the ball with their body. He is a hands catcher. After the catch, you're going to see the speed that he has. It can really, really go once he gets out there in the open field. He ran a 4-6-1. There was some thought he might even run in the 4-4s. And a willing blocker, a get-in-the-way, wall-you-off blocker. He's satisfactory in that level, but you're drafting him for what he's going to do in the pass game, and he's going to survive with what he does here in the run game. I mean, nothing for nothing. Like I think he, we talked about it. I think he's being yeah. a little disrespectful about that man's run blocking. I'm just going to let you know right now, Buck. <laughs> I think that's a little. You're a little disrespectful. You're a little out of line there, DJ. A little out of line. <laughs> well, shoot, before we go. Uh, to a break. Anything else that stood out to you about round two or round three? No, uh, I would say um, some of the guys dropping. I thought uh, Darnell Washington dropping was a surprise, but I know that there, I, I was told there may be a medical issue there so that he could drop, and I think that's probably one of the reasons. Keely Ringo didn't even go, and I'm not aware of any issues for Keely Ringo not to go at all in round as a big, fast cornerback with with play strength that was surprising to me and i didn't 
I didn't hear anything there where I expected him to fall. So uh, Keely Ringo falling out of day one and day two and into day three was a big surprise for me. It is a big surprise just because, man, you talked about it, Lance. I thought he was an ideal height, weight, speed prospect. Not necessarily in love with his game in terms of how he covered and those things, but I thought those traits and attributes would be enough to get him picked uh, over the first two days. So now he'll come into the league, day three prospect, probably one of the first guys to go in the fourth round. But it's a different situation when you come in as a fourth-round pick, having to earn your keep to make sure that you're on the squad. It'd be a different hustle for him, but it should be one that he should be able to make the transition and find a way uh, to make a mark on the league. Um, Let's take a break. We'll be back in a couple minutes. We'll hit on a couple day two winners right after this break. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. All right, Lance, we're back. And we're going to talk about some of these winners. We won't talk about the losers. We'll talk about the winners. Which drafts do you really like so far? I mean, I like Seattle. I like what they've done. I love that they added Derek Hall, who's really a bull rush and bully off the edge. Very physical, kind of fits the John Schneider mold of, uh, you know, he likes these type of guys who are very, very physical at the point of attack. He's got a lot of, to me, I think he's got some Frank Clark elements to his game in terms of how he approaches uh, the the pass rush. So I like that, what they did there in round two. I like the fact that they added Zach Charbonnet, who is kind of a one-two punch, right? You got Kenneth Walker, now you add Charbonnet. And I think more and more teams are looking at, at this with, uh, you know, the 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 Titans also added Taiji Spears to go with uh, Derrick Henry, at least for now, Derrick Henry's there right now. I like adding Charbonnet here. I know some people may say, why would you have two running backs? That does, you, you've already got a running back. Man, the league is not about one running back anymore. It's about more than one running back. It's about being able to pound on teams with the, with the freshness of a running back there in the third and fourth quarter to set the game off. And I think that's, and they both fit the outside zone scheme. So I, I, I like that pick of Charbonnet as well. And, of course, I like what they did in the first round. But I thought they did a nice job on day two of, of continuing to add players who are going to be factors early on in their, uh, you know, on the field. And, and so the, the, the thing about the Seattle Seahawks is this is a team that is true to their identity. Uh, the fact that they were not only able to get JSN yesterday to go with um, – you know, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf to blend it up. You talked about Derek Hall, that up up the field speed rusher. But Zach Charbonnet giving them another physical back to compliment Kenneth Walker Jr. And so Pete Carroll is not shy about letting you know his intentions. They're still going to run the ball. They're going to get after you. They're going to play great defense. Uh, they're going to still try and win the game in an old school fashion. And everything that they do is really about lining up and doing those things. We've talked about like the Pittsburgh Steelers and how they've certainly have won today. When you think about the guys they brought in, you, uh, initially bringing in Broderick Jones, and then you talk about Joey Porter Jr. Uh, you alluded to Darnell Washington, but how, how about Keanu Benton coming in from Wisconsin, giving them another 
big physical guy that you throw in the rotation at the point of attack. Uh, Mike Tomlin, those guys love to beat you up. They like to play bully ball. And the only way you can play bully ball, you got to have some bullies at the point of attack. They have that. And, you know, we never really talk about the Steelers being a flashy team when it comes to what they do on draft day, but they consistently tend to find a way to put good players on their roster. And because of that, this is a team that is always in the conversation as a playoff contender. And I like I like that you point out the Pittsburgh Steelers because they added to the physicality. You know, they by by making sure they got Broderick Jones, who's a very physical player. I think his best football is is probably going to be in a year to two years, and he's going to be um, a really impactful player. I think. But you know, uh, you you mentioned Keanu Benton. He's just one of the players as well. Who's the other? I know they got an offensive lineman. I'm going to find him here that I remember thinking this is a really good pickup, but, and it felt like a Pittsburgh Steeler. Well, so Jones. Washington, as you mentioned, but did they have yeah. another offensive lineman or no? Okay. Then no, I'm, thinking of Darn, I'm thinking of Darnell who basically is like an offensive lineman. I mean, what he allows you to do talking to the uh, offensive line coach over there in Georgia, he said when they had Darnell down, you know, just, just aligned as a Y right there on, on the line of scrimmage down near the goal line, it was such a blowout with him going against anybody across from him when defenses tried to mm-hmm. reduce down that they were able to just bludgeon the edge and just cave it wide open. And and that's a big advantage is having a big guy who, you know, I don't think it's crazy for teams to even talk about, hey, could this guy gain 25, 30 pounds and become a uh, become an offensive tackle? I think you just leave him at being a power, a power, ed, you know, tight end who, who can also catch the the football out in space. So, um, yeah, I thought the Steelers did a really nice job of getting Steelers. I don't think it's always been like that necessarily in the over the last 10 years. This felt like a really focused draft to me by the Steelers. Yeah, really focused, really stuck to their identity, uh, continue to kind of add guys that kind of fit their profile. Uh, you know, I, I have to go back because I'm, I'm looking through the names and I'm looking at the Denver Broncos and – We've heard all the offseason about the wide receivers being on the trading block, Jerry Judy, come and get Cortland Sutton, maybe even get K.J. Hamler. And then I'm looking at the bottom of the second round. They take Marvin Mims from Oklahoma. They then follow that pickup with Drew Sanders from Arkansas, who, look, surprisingly fell to the third round, and then Raleigh Moss. Uh, what do you think about the Broncos draft? I, well, you know, I'm a big fan of Drew Sanders. I think uh, from what I heard, I think he rubs some maybe rubs some teams – the wrong way in interviews. I, I just, it's hard for me to envision a guy who had nine and a half sacks and 13 and a half tackles for loss and a hundred, a hundred plus tackles in his first year at inside linebacker. Like how does that kind of production go in the third? And then you add to that, a guy who's athletic, who has size, who's explosive. That doesn't really add up from a football standpoint. So I like that. I think Riley Moss, you and I can have the conversation. They were a little uncomfortable, I think, wanting to bring up anything on um, on the broadcast I did. But Riley Moss is interesting. I mean, let's let's just be honest. He's he's the first white cornerback since Jason Seahorn, but he's he's a cornerback. Like that's going to be the talk that a lot of people have. They probably didn't talk about it on the broadcast. But I talked to some teams and some defensive back coaches who said people are going to want to move this kid to safety. They're going to see him, and they're going to say, oh, he must be a safety transition. And every everybody to a man said, no, you could see at the, at the senior bowl, he's a legit cornerback, and he's got talent. He's a willing tackler. Um, he, can play some, he can play in a cover three scheme. He can play in a cover two scheme. He can run. 
Riley Moss is is a solid cornerback, and I like that. I like that pick for them, and I do like the fact that he has potential versatility because of how tough he is as a tackler. I love the pick. Uh, I saw him play a couple years ago in the Big Ten championship game. Uh, immediately uh, loved his technique and the way that he went about though. his business. Yeah, I mean he's been banged up and those things, but he gets his hands on the ball, plays plays the game the right way, and you alluded to it. Man, I think he has an opportunity to do some of that Eric Weddle type stuff in terms of moving around and being a guy. And I'm not saying he has to go inside and be a full-time safety, but I think he has the versatility to do a lot of different things athletically. And so I love the pick uh, for him going there. Uh, There's one other team that I wanted to get to and wanted to just get your opinion on, and I am trying to figure out what did you think about the Philadelphia Eagles and what they did today. We gave them a lot of credit for getting Nolan Smith and Jalen Carter, but they come back and in the third round, they got Sidney Brown to safety from Illinois. Uh, Thoughts on the player, thoughts on the pick. Heat seeking missile. You put them near the line of scrimmage and you just let them go hit things. Um, I I don't love them when he has to, to, to play backwards in coverage, but I like them a lot when you're letting them, play forward, run the alleys, um, support the run near the line of scrimmage. I think he gives them an energy that they'll really like on defense. They got guys who could run now. Philadelphia said, okay, let's go get, and we'll start off with the first pick, let's go get um, Sidney Brown who will run and hit. And then the other one was uh, Trent Simpson, right? Mm-hmm. Trent no, Trent Simpson, Simpson went to Baltimore. Oh, no, he went to Baltimore. That's right. Who was the other pick that they had? Uh, Brown, back to and I'll pull this up here in a second, but um, pull it. I got it. Cindy Brown, and it was Tyler Steen. Yeah, offensive so, tackle from Alabama. So I li- here's why I like Tyler Steen. I think he's going to be a guard. I think so. One thing you can do is immediately have him compete as a swing tackle if that's what you want. So he's got swing tackle potential. He can bump inside down to guard, compete at the left guard spot. Um, if you want to move Cam Jurgens into – or right guard, I should say, if you want to move Cam Jurgens eventually into center and Landon, Landon Dickerson has one spot locked down. Um, I like the fact that Steen has – he has a lot of flexibility of where he can play along the offensive line. There's a lot of value. As you know, Bucky, a lot of teams don't – when they play road games, they don't they don't bring as many offensive linemen. So you really need to have offensive linemen that can play multiple positions. I think with Steen, you have a player who can pl- probably play four positions for you, both guard spots, both tackle spots. So I like that from a um, – I think Steen is a, a decent player. I think he's a good – I think he's a very good backup to low-end starter in the league personally. But I may be a little lower than some other people because I know Jim Nagy from the Senior Bowl – really likes Tyler Steen a lot. Yeah, he does like him, but he likes all this guy. Anyone who's done this in the is Jim Nagy's going to be four So I get it. So I get it. Last team to me that kind of showed up, but we never really talk about, uh, the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, the Cincinnati Bengals are kind of always a team that flies on the radar when it comes to how they go about their process. They took Miles Murphy uh, in night, uh, night one, round one. But then they come in and take DJ Turner and Jordan Battle. Um, your thoughts on both of those players? I'm a big DJ Turner fan. I thought he has a, I think he has early second round talent. He has some of the sweetest mirror and match footwork that that I've seen since Tredavious White um, can really, you know, really match routes. He has tremendous long speed. He's not the biggest cornerback, so the problem you have is he plays in the in the 170s. 
So how is he going to handle matching up with bigger players outside? Well, my answer to that would be I think he has the athletic capability to play inside. And so I think one of the things that the Bengals could be looking at is playing DJ Turner as uh, as a nickel. Now, you don't love him necessarily in run sport. He's tough. He'll, I mean, he'll come up and try to hit you, but he's not really built for that. But I do like from a, a coverage standpoint the fact that he can bump down inside with his makeup speed and play against some of the faster slots. So – I, I like the pick of DJ Turner. Yeah, and I'm really in love with the pick of Jordan Battle. Big old box safety who's an enforcer, makes you pay your taxes when you cross the middle of the field, active against the run game. And to me, we just see how the Cincinnati Bengals have been able to build their roster up. Big school guys played in major stages, made big games. Uh, it's not going to be too big for them. And they found a way with Lou Anarumo to put it together. I think this would be another unit because they all defensive players. This would be another unit that he puts together. And we'll be talking about this team sometime in the playoffs. Like, man, how are they getting it done? They're getting it done because they have a lot of blue-collar players. Yeah, you lose Bates and add battle. Um, it's smart. It's just smart football. He's not – there's nothing that's flashy, but he's usually in the right place at the right time. And uh, he helps you – you know, what I wrote up in my, my scouting report, Bucky, is he helps you get to the next play. Like – he just does what he's supposed to do on to the next play, on to the next play, on to the next play without giving up splashy explosive plays because he misses tackles or he's not where he's supposed to be. So there's something to be said for safeties. It's my least favorite position to watch when I'm scouting. Um, but that's just because safeties, a lot of times what they're doing is just making sure bad things don't happen. And it's not always just interceptions and knocking, you know, knocking people's helmets off. It's just like, are you where you're supposed to be? Are you tackling in the open field? And are you making sure that you got a safety net over the top? And it's not sexy, but it's important. It is important. But you know what else is important? It's important for Lancey to get a little rest because tomorrow is day three. You got all these random names that you got to pull on the spot out your head. So we're going to let you go, man. I appreciate you joining the podcast, giving some insights. We might have to bring you back like later. We have a big old recap. Talk about all this because it's been crazy and it's going to be crazier uh, day three tomorrow. So that's it. That's my man, Lance. I'm Bucky Brooks. Thanks for listening to the Move 6 Podcast. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.